So friends, today, as I said, we're starting off a new sermon series called Seeing Beyond. And in this sermon series, we're going to be digging into the book of Revelation. And I know that carries with it a lot of baggage. Uh, Many of us, we've spent some time with Revelation. Some of us are just too too scared to even approach it. Uh, But we're going to dig into the book of Revelation. But before we do, I'd like to spend some time in prayer and just really seek for God to enter into our midst to add uh, just his wisdom and understanding uh, to the reading and, and hearing of his word. But friends, join me in prayer. Holy God, we thank you for the gift of your scripture. Uh, we thank you for uh, the book of Revelation, God, and for the amazing, amazing, incredible vision uh, that you have given us, your vision of restoration and redemption. God, I pray that in this time, as we gather together, that you would draw us together, that you would knit us together through your Holy Spirit, that we would be of one mind and heart, that you would speak your truth into our lives, and that we would find uh, just your empowering spirit in and through the words of your scriptures. But God, meet us in this place. Continue to guide us and lead us. Continue to build us up as the church in the midst of everything that's going on. Um, And God, continue to help us to witness to the fullness of who you are and to your coming kingdom. God, we love you and praise you. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus the Christ, and we do so as we pray the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So friends, I, I, I look forward to digging into Revelation. Every time I open it up, every time I uh, just seek to read, it, it's a source of comfort. It's a source of hope for me. Um, and I hope that it, it becomes that if it's not already for you as we dig into the book of Revelation. But today, um, we're going to start with a, a, a kind of a key passage from the book of Revelation. And that, that's really what we're going to do during the sermon series you know, it's, it's, it's difficult in a four-week series to really, really tease out everything that Revelation is saying. But what we're going to do is, is visit some of those key passages in the book of Revelation and, and seek to un- uncover the, the, broader, the broader picture of, of God's ultimate purposes for us and for all of creation. But today, we're going to read from chapter 4 in the book of Revelation and, and chapter 4 is, is really kind of the introduction to John's revelation uh, that really picks up in, in chapter 5. But hear these words uh, from chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to kind of fill in some of the, the material around and, and fill in where, where John's leading us on this revelation. But hear these words. After this, I looked up. And there in heaven a door stood open, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne, with one seated on the throne. 
And the one seated there looked like jasper and carnelian, and around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne are are 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones are 24 elders dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there is something like a sea of glass, like crystal. Around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face like a human face, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are, are full of eyes all around and inside. Day and night, without ceasing, they sing, Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Friends, will you pray with me? God, I pray that you would add your wisdom and understanding to the reading and hearing of your scripture. I pray you would meet us here, God. Just breathe your life into us, uh, that we would uh, just leave this time with a sense of your purpose for us and for all of creation. But God, we love you and praise you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So, as I've been thinking about this particular passage and Revelation as a whole, I just kept asking myself kind of questions about purpose, ultimate purpose. And it got me wondering about you, you know, have, have you ever just thought recently, thought about your ultimate purpose in life? And maybe, maybe that's a question, have you ever in your life as a whole just really spent some time thinking about your ultimate purpose in life? what it is, what it should be. If you're younger, and maybe for some of our seniors, this is a, a poignant question, but if you're younger, you may be in the thick of trying to figure that out for yourself right now. You might be trying to figure out, you know, what is this life stuff all about? Those who are older might be thinking that, you know, you've, you've been there, you've done that. But regardless of who we are, regardless of where we've been, how old we are, or what we've experienced in life, the question of ultimate purpose in life, I think, is one that we have to constantly be revisiting. We have to constantly be reminding ourselves of. In my late adolescence, I spent a lot of time struggling with this question of of ultimate purpose, ultimate uh, meaning for, for me in my life about who I was, about what I was to do. And for me, those questions really stretched back to my early childhood. And looking back, my ultimate purpose, when, when I was a child and growing up, my ultimate purpose was, was directly tied to what I would do for a living. You know, our, our purpose, our identity being so wrapped up in our job or our career. And so when I was very young, I, I always wanted to be a painter, and not like a, an artist, not, not a creative painter, but, you know, someone who would just paint houses or paint walls or something like that. You know, something that is not quite as, as exciting as, as being an artist. But I wanted to be a painter because my great-grandfather 
was a painter. That was, that was his vocation. That's what he did. That's how he was known. But, you know, fast forward a little bit. When I got into college, really, and the, you're just going to laugh at me, but I wanted to be a mountain man. That's what I wanted to be in college. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that Jeremiah Johnson was one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid. And I, I just wanted to just live out in the wild, off the land. And it was, you know, at that time, it was so much tied to my worldview. You know, I, I, I was starting to see and struggle with a lot of the realities of the world. And I just really wanted to recoil and, and just kind of get away from it all, escape it all. But it was at that time, though, that I started having what I call my existential crisis. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to be, mainly because I didn't know who I was. And this carried over after my college years. I had no idea what I wanted to do for a living after I graduated college. And because, in my mind, career was so, so tied to identity I was experiencing this inner identity crisis that, that caused me to go searching. Uh, but thankfully, my search led me to the church. I can't explain that. Uh, it's God's grace. But it led me to the church. I really didn't know where else to go to find answers, to find identity, to find meaning, where to find purpose. But through a season of, you know, attending church and going to small groups, a season of searching, a season of questioning, I started catching glimpse of who God is. And it wasn't until I started to understand who God is that I started to understand who I was. And then I realized that my ultimate identity, my ultimate purpose was not necessarily tied to what I did for a living. And it, it just caused me to see that, you know, what we do for a living, um, what we do can be a way of living out who we are and our ultimate purposes. But our vocations, our careers, do not define our purpose or identity ultimately. You know, whenever I meet someone new, uh, because of this reality, because of, you know, kind of discovering this, and because of our culture, which places such weight on, on vocation and career as, as a source of identity, and let's be honest, a lot of that's tied to uh, material wealth, right? We ask somebody when we meet them, what do you do for a living? As if that tells us everything we know or tells us so much that we can get an idea of who that person is. So when I meet somebody, I refuse to ask that question. So what I ask instead is, you know, where are you from? You know, I, career, job, vocation, it's not ultimately defined, def, definitive of our identity. But I encounter people all the time, all different ages, all different life stages, all different life experiences, who are in the midst of existential crisis, and sometimes they don't even know it. You know, they're in a time where they struggle with identity. They, they struggle with purpose. They struggle with meaning. And a lot of times these can come at our typical, what we consider life stages. And they happen in a, just a huge, you know, what's this life stuff all about anyway? What's the purpose of it all kind of way? But one really important thing I have learned to be true 
is that you cannot know yourself or your ultimate purpose in any full or real sense until you know God and God's ultimate purposes. In this time of pandemic and isolation and quarantine, all of this, this time of uncertainty, of anxiety, of mistrust, this time of turmoil, uh, this time of even, you know, we're getting back to our uh, polarization, our cultural polarization. These questions can really come to the fore and can be magnified in a lot of our minds. These questions of identity and purpose. You know, cultural and personal upheaval like we're experiencing can cause us to ask what our purpose truly is and even what the purpose is of all this life stuff in general. You know, what really is going on? And even from a place of faith, some of us may even have the question crop up, you know, you know God, what are your ultimate purposes for, for all that you have made? You know, where are you? God, what are you doing? This week, as we start this new sermon series called Seeing Beyond, we're really asking those questions, those big questions. God, what are you doing? What is your ultimate purpose in our lives and throughout creation? We, we ask these questions, and the, the truth is that so much, so much gets in our way of being able to see and, and know what God is up to in the world around us, even in our own lives. And so sometimes we need to take a step back, take a broader view, to step out of the mess of the, the trees, and, and for a time, take a look at the forest as a whole. We are going in the sermon series, we're going to attempt to see beyond, not to avoid or skirt around, but to look through the current mess of things to catch a glimpse of God's ultimate purposes for us and all of creation. So to do this, we're going to look at a specific book in Scripture whose sole purpose is to reveal God's ultimate purposes. It's the book of Revelation. As I said, there's no, week, no way in, in four weeks we can cover all of it. But we're going to look at some of the key passages that get, get us to a broad picture of God and his purposes. And in, in looking at s some pieces of Revelation, we're going to see beyond some of the, the misconceptions and misunderstandings that get in the way of us seeing who God truly is and what he is up to. And maybe we, we know this. There's, there's so much out there about the book of Revelation how do, we, how do we muddle through all of it? So we think, you know, what about God's ultimate purposes? As I said, we, we look at the world around us. We see the brokenness, the despair, the sin, the evil. And, and this pandemic, as, as an, you know, really is an evil in, it, in and of itself, far from creating any of these things, has certainly exposed a lot of these things. But at the same time, we read about, we hear about, we even experience God's grace. We experience God's mercy and forgiveness. We experience God's peace and, and joy. We catch glimpses of the kingdom. And so maybe we wonder, you know, what's the meaning of all of this? What ultimately is God doing? 
This is the question that God, through the Apostle John, seeks to answer in the book of Revelation. The truth is we cannot know ourselves or our ultimate purpose until we know God and his ultimate purposes. And Scripture is the primary way that God reveals himself to us. The problem comes in, though, is that, you know, we, we all pretty much read the same Bible, more or less, but we come up with different understandings of God and his ultimate purposes. And this is especially true of the book of Revelation. So it becomes obvious with the book of Revelation that, that we need to, to clear some of the air of, of some of the misunderstandings and misconceptions about what it does and does not say. As I've been thinking about this, I, I thought about how, you know, I often get asked by, by folks, you know, how to read the Bible. You know, there's so much in there. It's often hard to understand. And, and I get asked, you know, how, how do I read the Bible? Well, my answer is always, it, it starts with that we have to read the Bible like we read a library. You know, rather than looking at the Bible as a, a singular book, the Bible is really more like a library made up of, of different books that are different genres and, and need to be read in different ways, but they all come together in, in their uniqueness as a cohesive whole. But the book of Revelation is a great example of, of how these, these books of the Bible are so, so very different and very unique because Revelation in and of itself is very unique in its form and content. Because Revelation, it belongs to an ancient literary style called Jewish apocalyptic. And Jewish apocalyptic has a, a distinct form, uh, and it's usually uh, purely symbolic language. But we, we hear that word apocalyptic. We think of apocalypse. And many of us, we think back to the many movies we've seen, and we think about war and, and pestilence and fires and desolation. We think about death and destruction. But the word apocalypse, to, to start clearing some of the air, the word apocalypse simply means to uncover or to reveal. And that's where we get the word revelation. It's often called the apocalypse of St. John. Maybe in some of your Bibles it says the apocalypse of St. John, also known as the revelation of St. John. And it, as an aside, it's revelation, not revelations. Because this exists as a, a singular revelation, revealing who God is. God is seeking to reveal something about himself and his purposes through this book. But many of us, if you're like me, when I was growing up, we, we stay away from the book of Revelation. And mainly, I think, because it contains all manner of images that seem just absolutely bonkers. Right, we even read today there are all these creatures, these beasts that you know have eyes all over them. Uh, we read about a lake of fire. There's even a dragon in in the book of Revelation. We we encounter these things and we think, whoa, they they frighten us a little bit. So we so we just put it down and just forget about it. Or we seek out help in understanding it from other books or other biblical interpreters and end up finding as many different understandings of what Revelation is saying as there are authors. And the truth is, there is a lot of terrible stuff out there about the book of Revelation. 
uh, stuff claiming to have the, the, the secrets to decode and understand it. And truth be told, it's usually the most popular, best-selling books that are the worst. So we have to understand a few things about the book of Revelation. We have to kind of put it in context. We have to understand that Revelation is written to a specific people in a specific time period in a specific geographical location. It's written to first century followers of Jesus in Palestine in the midst of Roman imperial rule. All of these things are vitally important to understanding some of the symbolism in the book of Revelation. You know, Revelation is also a book deeply, deeply rooted in Jewish tradition. And it's also deeply, deeply, deeply rooted in the first century culture and customs in which it was written. And it's because of this that it's so difficult to understand and so often misunderstood. One way to help think about it a little bit, you know, I, I encountered a, a professor who, who talked about the book of Revelation, and uh, when he first introduced the book of Revelation and how we're kind of to understand how it fits in the biblical canon, um, he, he referred to a, a Time magazine cover. And this Time magazine cover, and you can look it up online, uh, but it's from, it was from the 1994 midterm elections, the Time magazine that came out after the 1994 midterm elections. If you were alive or you remember the 1994 uh, midterm elections, it was a sweeping victory by the Republican Party over the Democrat Party. And so the Time magazine article simply had this picture on the front of this kind of uh, animated uh, uh, elephant stomping on this kind of cartoon animated donkey. I, I say that because any of us who understand the American political system, uh, understand the culture, we, we know exactly what that image is saying. But my professor, he, he made the point, you know, what if we took that Time magazine and we buried it for 500 years? And 500 years later, somebody dug it up and, and saw this image of this giant elephant stomping on this donkey. How would they understand that? How would they even have a clue what, what that meant? I think it's no different with the book of Revelation, only that the book of Revelation is some 2,000 years old. We're, we're taking this, 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 this book, which is 2,000 years old, this ancient literature that's 2,000 years old, and trying to understand it. That, that adds some of the weight to, to how difficult it is to understand. But throughout those 2,000 years, people have been wrestling with, they've been grappling with uh, the book of Revelation. And so the truth is that there is a lot we know about Revelation, and there's a lot we don't know about Revelation. We know a lot about what Revelation is about, but we know just as much about, revelation, about what Revelation is not about. And one of the things that Revelation is not about, and this is one of the thing that, things that gets propped up culturally as kind of a popular understanding, Revelation is not about the destruction of the earth. It is most definitely not a code book for discovering or uncovering how and when the end of the world will occur. In fact, 
it is almost the exact opposite of that. You see, Revelation provides us with an incredible, an amazing, a hopeful vision of God's redemptive, redemptive and restorative work, of, of the ultimate restoration of everything that God has made. Another thing we know about Revelation is that it's directly linked to the Old Testament book of Daniel. This is important as we get going. The book of Daniel is, is another form of Jewish apocalyptic. It's of that same genre. You know, it's prophecy in the same kind of way. But Daniel ends, ends the book. Daniel ends in chapter 12 with Daniel symbolically sealing up his prophecy in a scroll until the end of time. So Revelation picks up where Daniel leaves off. And towards the beginning of Revelation, in chapter 5, we encounter a scroll that has been sealed with seven seals. Presumably the same scroll that was sealed, right, till the end of time. And we see that this scroll is only able to be opened by a, the Lamb of God, by Jesus. And what's on that scroll well, we find out throughout the rest of the book of Revelation what's on that scroll. And we see that it is God's ultimate plan of redemption of all creation. God's ultimate plan being revealed, being made known, being brought to completion in and through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So when we talk about the end times, which we hear a lot about, we aren't talking about end in the sense of a stoppage. We aren't talking about an end in the sense of annihilation, which is how a lot of us understand it. Instead, we're talking about it in the sense of the Greek word telos, and the Greek word telos means goal. So when we talk about the end, we're talking about the goal, God's ultimate goal, God's ultimate goal of the redemption and restoration of everything. But we know Right? We, we're well aware that that redemption, that restoration has not yet happened. So we look to Revelation and John, before he gets fully into his revelation in chapter 5, in chapter 4, with what concerns us today, he sets the stage. He reveals something about the reality of the world. He reveals something about the way things are here, now, presently in this kind of in-between time, but in the now-but-not-yet time. And he does so through the imagery of the throne room. So this is one of the, the most more important passages from Revelation that we need to seek to grasp, because it, it does, it sets the stage for how we are to understand God's ultimate purposes. But in this vision of the throne room, John describes a, a door standing open in heaven, and he's called up. You know, it's like being called into the presence of God, being called to, to see things as God sees things. And he, he was at once in the Spirit and saw before him a throne room with something, someone sitting on the throne. And the one on the throne just shone brilliantly, holy, encircled by a, a shining rainbow. The throne itself was surrounded by these 24 elders dressed in white and wearing crowns. There was thunder and lightning. There were the seven spirits of God, and in front of the throne was a, a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And then there were 
these four living creatures, a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle, covered with eyes all over and praising the Lord Almighty. We, we read that and we think, holy cow, what is going on? But friends, it's an amazing, incredible, incredible vision. And this, this vision from chapter 4 at the beginning of the book of Revelation is not a description of the end, of the goal, as some suggest. You know, we get to that in, in chapters 21 and 22, but rather John is setting the stage for the rest of the revelation to come. And what John is doing is describing the present reality of God's lordship and reign over all creation. And again, this is all symbolic imagery meant to draw the reader in in order to see the reality of God with eyes of faith. You know, there wasn't a literal door, there wasn't a literal throne room, a rainbow or 24 elders or a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle covered with eyes all over. John is writing with eyes of faith, able to see what beyond what passes for reality to the reality of the presence of Almighty God. He's communicating a truth in symbolic language, a truth that runs far deeper than anything that we can see with our naked eyes. You see, at the time, there would have been no question for most people where ultimate reality was to be found. For the first century folks, you know, ultimate reality was found in the Roman Empire. That's all they could see. That's all they knew. Rome was all-powerful. Caesar was considered a god and was said to have power over all of creation, even life and death. So we have followers of Jesus, though, proclaiming and worshiping a different God. And so they face persecution, they face martyrdom, they face death, because their, their beliefs ran contrary to the, the false reality of the Roman Empire. You know, John himself even writes the book of Revelation while being exiled on an island, put there by the Roman authorities for being so outspoken about his faith. He was a troublemaker. So what John is doing, walking by faith and not by sight, and walking as God's vessel for revealing his purposes, he's encouraging other followers of Jesus to see beyond what is directly in front of their faces, to see beyond all, all of the, the, the junk of, the, the, of what they were experiencing, to see beyond Roman rule and power, to see beyond the oppression and persecution, to see beyond the death and martyrdom to the God of creation who is present, who is reigning, who is seated on his throne having everything under his domain. So from the beginning, John is setting the reality of God against the false reality of Roman imperial rule and even evil itself. So John wants his readers, he, he wants us to know before anything else that God is seated on his throne, reigning over all of creation, here, now. And this is given real weight, I think, by, by all of the imagery that's, that's involved in this, all the, the symbolic imagery. You know, we, we read of that rainbow, it's, you know, symbolizing that God keeps and carries with him his promises. It, it, it reminds us of the story of, of Noah, where the rainbow appears, 
And it, as, and it appears as a, as a sign of God's promise never to destroy the earth again. We encounter those 24 elders, and, and many, many believe that the, these 24 elders symbolize the, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, you know, the elders, the kind of the, the founders of, of the church and the, the faith rooted in Jesus Christ. And these 24 elders, they're, they're robed in white with crowns. You know, they, they've run the race of, of faith and they have been victorious. We encounter the thunder and lightning and we, we think of the awe and this just inspiring sight. And we're reminded of, of Moses going up on Mount Sinai when, when, he, when he encountered God amidst the thunder and the lightning. And we read of these seven spirits Seven being the, the number of perfection throughout all of Scripture. And we're reminded of God's perfect, ever-present Spirit, the Holy Spirit all around us at work. And then we encounter these four living creatures. You know, and, and many think these symbolize, you know, all of the animal kingdom. You know, the, the lion symbolizing the wild animals, the king of all the wild animals, the, the ox symbolizing all of the cattle or tame animals, uh, the man symbolizing all of humanity, and the eagle symbolizing all the birds of the air. And all of these creatures, what's important, I think, is all of these creatures and the 24 elders, they're gathered around the throne of, of, the, of the one seated on it, and they're all praising God's name. Praising God. And all of this takes place while surrounded by a sea of glass. And I think this is where this vision of the throne room really, really, really speaks to us. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, throughout much of Scripture, the sea or water, it often represented chaos. It often represented evil. It was believed to be where a lot of the evil spirits lived and dwelled. We think about it in this terms with this kind of these Old Testament lenses. I think John is telling us that God is present, God is reigning, and all of creation is praising God in the midst of all of the chaos, in the midst of all of the evil. I think John is saying to his readers, those first century readers, you know, it's not Caesar who sits on the throne. It's not Caesar who has all the power. It, it's not Caesar who is praised by creation. It's not Caesar who has power over life and death. It is God, the Lord Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Despite all of the evil and the chaos in the world, God is in control. His promises will come to fruition. And John's call, therefore, is to have eyes to see God's presence. Eyes to see God's work all around us. And to hold on in faith. This is the reality that John was pointing the early Christians to in the first century. In the midst of oppressive Roman rule and persecution. So when we read this, we read it like we read any other book in the New Testament. You know, it, it's written to a specific people, specific time, specific place. 
but it holds weight for us here today. And we do this and we see that this is the reality for us here today as well. You know, were, were any one of us to walk by sight alone, just by what we see around us in the world, we might be inclined to just give up and give in. Pandemic aside, you know, there's just so much chaos, so much evil in this world. But we are called to walk and live by faith, trusting in the God fully revealed in Jesus Christ, and to see beyond the chaos and the evil to the reality of God's reign. To see beyond it, not to skirt around it, not to avoid it, but to see through it to what God is really truly doing, to see that God is seated on his throne. The truth is that God has got this. God has got us. God is present and at work all around us, redeeming and restoring everything. You know, I, I always heard growing up that the book of Revelation was about God destroying the world. You know, now I think that that was just something used by some Christians to get people to believe out of fear. When I think about that, that still passes for popular understanding of Revelation. But what if? What if God so loved the world? What if God promised never to destroy it? What if Jesus entered not to condemn the world, but to save it? What if God's ultimate purpose is to redeem and restore all of creation, including you and me? And what if God intends to use us, the church, to help bring about his restoration? What if that is our ultimate purpose? Friends, as we begin this journey through some of the book of Revelation, this journey of seeing beyond. Yeah, I think it's important for us in our world full of pandemics and chaos, in a world full of evil of every sort, it's important for us to begin where John in Revelation begins. To begin with the reminder of what reality truly is. Not making light of all the, the brokenness and the evil and the suffering around us, but to see in the midst of all the chaos and the evil that God is seated on his throne, reigning over all of creation. The Lord is seated on his throne even now, and he is at work to redeem and restore everything, even you, even me. God's purposes, God's goal, God's end is what gives purpose and meaning to us and to the world. I think one of the reasons why, this, why I'm so passionate about the book of Revelation is because it matters how we understand the end. It matters how we understand the ultimate goal. If the ultimate goal is to destroy the earth, then none of this matters. 
But if the ultimate end, the ultimate goal is to redeem and restore all of creation, to save all of humanity, to save all of creation, then it matters what we're doing here and now. And it matters if God has called us to be vessels of his redemptive and restorative work in this world. Friends, this is the life that we are called to as followers of Jesus. And we are empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit to live fully into that. And it all begins with us taking on the eyes of faith to see the Lord at work all around us, even now. It's my prayer that we will undertake this, this journey together, this journey through Revelation, but this journey in uncovering and discovering God's ultimate purposes all around us with eyes of faith, trusting in God's work and the, the empowering Holy Spirit that walks with us every step of the way. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we praise you for uh, how you speak to us, God, we praise you for your purposes revealed in your scriptures. God, we, th we praise you for your consistency. Uh, God, um, you are the one who was, who is, and is to come. And it's in that, that, that truth, and it's in your promises that we, we trust and that we hold out our hope. And so God, in the midst of our trusting and our hoping, I pray that you would empower and enable us to witness to that reality amongst everyone we encounter, the reality that you are at work, that you are reigning, and you are busy restoring all of creation. But God, we love you and praise you. Pray all of this in the name of Jesus the Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen.